All right. Hey, my mic works. This is like unprecedented. This has been like, remember guys before we left, like my mic kept cutting out and stuff? That was crazy. All right. Well, at least it's not like that tonight. So tonight, I want to talk to you guys about my friend, John. There's a picture of him up here as we are diving back into uh, this series in 1 Thessalonians. I want to talk to you about uh, my friend, John. John uh, is one of the coolest guys that I have ever met. Like, he is, like, if, if you could think of, like, okay, a guy who has, like, cool stories, and he's been places, and he's seen th- some things, he was part of an airborne division in the Air Force that jumped out of helicopters to rescue people that got places where they couldn't get out. Super cool guy. Had, like, amazing stories. Uh, I met John after he was in the military through a, a friend of mine, and we became, like, instant best friends. I mean, like... We're talking like my wife would go down to Southern California when we were living in the Bay Area and she would go down and take the kids to go visit grandparents and stuff. And John was at my house every day. Like, and he's the guy like, okay, check this. Like he's the guy that would call and be like, hey man, I'm coming over and I'm bringing steaks. You're the man, right? I go over and grill up steaks. I was looking through some Facebook memories the other day and, and actually like I, I realized I don't have a lot of pictures of me and John. But I have pictures of like things we did together. Like usually it was like a picture of like the TV where he was kicking my butt at like NHL 2015 because uh, he loved playing this hockey game on PS4 and he was really good at it and I was not. Um, and, and so he would come over and he'd bring the game, we'd play. And then there's these pictures that I saw and he was making these steak kebabs and he said, my grill game is strong with my man Curtis. And I was like, oh, I love John. Like I had this cool memory of John. And... John was also an amazing youth leader in our, our student ministry at my church. Like he worked in our middle school program and our high school program, which means he, means he was there two nights during the week because we went on different nights. And I remember we were doing, so Black Ops, I'm sorry to say you guys were not the first group that I've ever done Black Ops with, but you guys are my favorite group that I've ever done Black Ops with, okay? All right? All right. So Black Ops was, as, as an event, was actually born at Morton Hill Bible Church in, in California. And so we, uh, we did this event, and it was the first time we were ever doing it there. And uh, I remember we were saying, like, hey, we're going to have all these kids. It's going to be amazing. And, and John's like, I'm going to make it extra spectacular. Like, he was the guy that would, like, go big or home, right? Like, that was him. Okay, so he would get up on top of, we had these five buildings on our campus. We, uh, we, our church was just spread out. You could have buildings, not building, uh, where it doesn't rain all the time. Okay, so we had buildings, so you could walk between them. And I remember we were doing a game, some of you guys have played this game, uh, where we have you go around and you have to collect the intel. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you guys have to go around and get all the letters from the people who are hiding. And then if you get the wrong people, they put a giant X on your paper and they make you start over again. It's a great game. I love this game. Okay. Now, I was like, John, just make sure that people can find you. Now, think about what he used to do for a living. Make sure people can find you everybody's like, I can't find the last letter. And they're running around. I'm going like, I'm walking around the buildings. I'm going, where in the world is this guy? I'm like texting him. And then all of a sudden I hear like, <laughs> and I'm like, he's a big dude. He's like way bigger. And we're talking Cameron 2.0. Like he's big. Okay. And, and just, <laughs> and I look up and he's on top of the roof, like in the roof slanted. So he's like kind of holding on. And I look up and he's like, 
right? Big bearded, burly dude up on the roof. And I'm like, dude, no one can find your letter. And he's like, okay, I'll get off. And still like two kids found his letter after he hid, okay? But super cool guy, veteran, best friend, just an awesome guy. And then my wife and I were on the retreat, this pastor's retreat, right? And I get home, my wife and I went home early and I get home early before the other pastors. I'm the only pastor in the office and I get this phone call and somebody that I don't know has gotten a hold of me and said, hey, I, want, I, just, I know you're good friends with John. I want to let you know that last night uh, John passed away. And I remember like I was standing in my office and I just remember this moment of like, intense grief that hit me. And I remember like hitting my knees, just crying. And I remember I called his dad because I was like, not, it's true. It's not true. So I'm going to call Paul and everything's going to be fine. Because uh, I don't know who this person is that called me. It could be like could be just a joke, maybe misunderstanding. They don't know. And so I call Paul and sure enough, he told me last night, John was killed. And I didn't know that it was going to be the last time that I was going to see John here. And I wonder when we come against things like this, like what do we do? If we're followers of Jesus, what happens? I mean, have you ever lost someone? Like not just like, oh, they moved away, but have you ever lost someone like that where they died? And I don't mean like, and I'm not trying to mean like your feelings or whatever, but I'm not talking about your pet goldfish, okay? Uh, they either live a million years or two days. There's no in between, okay? And, but we're all gonna experience this someday. If you haven't yet, I'm going to let you know, it's an inevitability. You will experience the loss of someone you love. It will happen. And so as followers of Jesus, what are we supposed to do that? Because I think most of you, if, if you're like how I was in middle school, you probably feel some sense, even though you would say, no, not really. I mean, I understand there, there's reality. I get that. But I think that in some sense, when I was in middle school, maybe you were like me. You just feel this kind of sense of immortality. Like death is not your door. Because you're young and you don't think about those things. It's why when you're young, I'll be, I'll be honest with you guys, like, I'm, I'm still like young at heart five, but I still do really stupid things where my wife's like, what are you doing on the sink floor roof? It's raining and you're trying to fix shingles. What are you doing? Okay, I'm like that guy. Okay. Um, I haven't fallen off the roof yet. Okay. Um, okay. So, but we, we do dumb things because we don't think about that. We don't think about that reality very often until we're actually faced with it. And I understand that you guys don't think that you're actually immortal, but the th death isn't something that you dwell on because you're young. And it, it's that way, I think, until we're kind of confronted with it. So the question I have for you guys tonight, and I'll get back to my story in a bit. The question I have for you tonight is, what do you do when you are faced with this? And how does somebody who follows Jesus, uh, how do we respond to this thing called death? This thing that is a reality in our world because of sin. Because we live apart from God, because the original man and woman, Adam and Eve, chose to go away and sin and death entered our world. And now everyone that you've ever met and everyone you ever will meet has an expiration date. What do we do with that as followers of Jesus? My big idea tonight is this, is that everyday followers of Jesus have hope in life beyond death. And Paul is actually going to write to this church in Thessalonica and he's going to give them an encouragement. And I'll tell you why he does that is because they actually have this, this feeling. They've been told that Jesus will return. So Jesus lived his early ministry. He, he lived a perfect sinless life. He then went to the cross paying for our sin with his death. And then he rose again from the dead so that we could have a relationship with God. 
That's the gospel. That is why we gather here. It is because of Jesus' sacrifice. But then Jesus leaves his followers and he says, I'm coming back for you. I'll come back someday. Now, they are living in such a time where they are thinking, okay, this could happen like tomorrow. And their worry, the reason Paul writes what he's going to write here, what I'm going to read to you, is because they are actually concerned that people who have become followers of Jesus and then died have missed the boat. Like they won't be here when Jesus gets back. And they see an inherent problem with that. So pipe to them and clear some things up, but he's also going to give us some hope. And so here's what, it, uh, what God's word says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 13 through 18. If you have a digital copy of God's word or a physical copy and you want to open it, that's where we'll be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus who have fallen asleep. Okay, that means died in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not, certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, there's a lot in that passage. And we go a lot of different ways. And we could try to pick this apart and understand the intricacies of what the day will be like when Jesus comes back. And actually, I think Paul is giving snippets of that. I think that's actually his purpose in writing this is that we understand exactly what that day would be like. I think there's a whole lot of the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible that talks about a lot of that stuff. And it's really interesting and some of it's very hard to understand, but I don't think that that's what Paul is doing here. I think he's addressing a specific issue within this church, something that they're honestly concerned with. What do I do? I mean, think about it. If I have that thought, we got to make it until Jesus gets back. We have to stay alive so that we're here and we're ready when he's back. And John died. Do you understand why that would be a problem for me? If I had that mindset? So you can see he has to address this. See, they're worried that those who have died before Jesus came back would miss out. And Paul's response to tell them, we need to take hope in what Jesus has done. And that Jesus will bring back those who have died. What does that mean? If he's bringing them back, if they'll come with him, what does that tell us about them? That they're already with him. That's important. That they're already with him. Who? Everybody that dies? No, I want to stay actually very, very clear. Paul is not saying everyone who's ever died on the face of the planet. That is not what he's saying. He's saying those who have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Those who have called Jesus Lord. Those who have accepted what he's done for them at the cross. Those who have believed in his crucifixion and resurrection. Which means he rose from the dead. Now, here's the thing that's kind of weird to me as I read that passage. I actually get the feeling that Paul who, by the way, is dead. Like, in case you were wondering, he's dead now. 
okay? Uh, I get the feeling reading this that Paul actually thought that he might have long enough to see Jesus return. Do you guys get that feeling from, from the way it's worded? That's bizarre, right? Because here we are, like, almost, what, 2,000 years later? Close to? And Paul's dead. So what does that mean? I mean, let's look at this. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 39. Is the words of Jesus himself, talking about the time when he will come back. It says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son. Who's the son? Jesus. Does Jesus know? No, it's, it's something that he has allowed as God to be hidden from himself. He says, only the father knows. Only God the Father knows when this will happen. As it was in the days of Noah. So going back to the Old Testament. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, if you are unfamiliar with the story of Noah, let me help you out real quick. Okay, The story of Noah, there was evil all over the earth. And God flooded and saved one family. A man named Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Now, God didn't say, this is when... The storm is coming. He just gave him instruction to be ready. In the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the beginning of the Son of Man. See, Jesus says that his return is not even known to him. It's only known to the Father. So it's actually not crazy for Paul to think, you know what, I need to live my life in such a way that it could happen tomorrow. I need to be ready. I need to live this way. I think Paul fully anticipated that it might happen in his lifetime. That's not crazy. See, because Jesus could have meant next month. Like how crazy would it have been if, like, well, we wouldn't be here talking. Uh, but how crazy would it have been, right, if Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm coming back. You don't know when. The angels don't know when. I don't know when. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll be right back. And then Jesus came back in like a month. That'd be crazy. That was just the end of the world as we never would have known it, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the fact that you exist is good, right? This lack of knowledge on time frame should move us to do something. It should move us to do something. But Paul also gives them hope in what will happen. And we know a few things from Paul about Jesus' return. He does give us a few descriptions. Number one, it's going to be loud. Jesus is going to straight turn the volume to 11. Okay? We know it's going to be loud. We know that no one will mistake it for someone else or for something else, okay? No one will mistake it for something else. This will be an unmistakable event. We know that those followers of Jesus who are alive will actually be no better off than those who have died beforehand. That's what it means when it says that we will not precede them. And all the living and the deceased followers of Jesus will meet him in the air, okay? There are two angels that appear when Jesus leaves the earth and they Look at the disciples, those who follow Jesus, and say, hey, the way that he's left, he's going to come back in the same way. We'll be caught up with him in the air. So what's with the clouds? Like, if you guys have, uh, like, th this passage, right, talks about, like, we will meet them in the air, be in the clouds. Like, what, Do you guys think that, like, heaven is, like, some place where we can clouds and play harps? Yes. 
Everybody ever thought that? Sounds really boring to me, okay? I don't believe that's what heaven is like at all. Okay? We can have that as a separate conversation. But when we hear the word class, I'm going to give you guys an insight. When you're reading through the Old Testament, when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see clouds associated with God, it's talking about God's glory, how amazing he is, that we'll be caught up with God in his glory. So this all should actually be an encouragement to the Thessalonians, but it should be an encouragement to us because we are going to have to deal with death in our life. It is going to happen. Someday, you guys will die. Say, I will die. It is a fact of life that given the long enough time period, everyone's life expectancy will drop to zero. So full circle to verse 13, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why not? Here's why. I don't, I don't grieve John as someone who has no hope. Do I grieve my friend? Absolutely. You guys, I miss him terribly. There are times where I look at Danae and I just, I look, I'm looking at my kids and they're playing and I, I think, man, John would have been such a cool uncle. And it makes me sad. But I'm not sad for John. I'm sad for me. I'm sad for what I'm missing out on. John is with Jesus in glory, according to scripture. John does not want to be back here. Trust me, this world sucks compared to where he's at. Okay? I don't grieve as someone without hope. I grieve as someone with hope. It means I miss him myself, but I'm actually not sad for John. I don't think, oh my word, there's no hope for him. And I actually know that there's hope for me as well. I'm going to see him again someday. That's amazing. You know, I joked at John's funeral. I said, you know, I, I know with all my heart that John loved Jesus with everything he had. Imperfect, yeah, but John loved Jesus and he's with him now. And I know that when I get there, because I think there's still sarcasm in heaven, personal thought. Uh, I think that when I get there, John is going to look at me and go, bro, seriously, what took you so long? I know that I him, but do I grieve? Absolutely. I miss my friend, guys. And that's okay. But I also have hope because I know the hope that John had. Now, we don't grieve as, we don't grieve other followers hopelessly. That's what I want you to know here. We don't grieve other followers of Jesus hopelessly or without hope. See, what about people, though, in my life who are not followers of Jesus? I mean, that's got to be the question, right? You guys have to ask that. If you're not asking that, you are not paying attention. What do I do about the people in my life who are not followers of Jesus? That is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you guys asked me. I think that this passage doesn't say it explicitly, but there is, there is something that we should be moved to do. If Jesus is the hope, that we have, and we have to share that hope with other people. So we don't need to grieve that person as someone who had no hope. So the factor means that Jesus says he was the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, according to Jesus, comes to the Father or has eternal life except through him. Nobody. Okay? You're not going to get there by following Muhammad. You are not going to get there by following Buddha. You are not going to get there following the thousands of God of, gods in Hindu. 
of Hinduism. You're not going to get there through that. Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and the life. And you are left with a couple of options. Either Jesus is absolutely right and he's Lord and he has the, he has the, the right to say that. Or he's crazy and you shouldn't listen to him. Or he is a liar on par with Satan. You have to make a decision. He is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And I personally believe that he is the Lord. And it is with that hope I have that I get to, I know I get to see John again. No one gets to spend eternity with God without Jesus. Without accepting what he's done for them. Now, here's the thing. Also, like Paul, who said, hey, when, he's, when he comes back, we need to be ready. And now Paul's dead. Like Paul, we don't know when that's going to be. So here's my encouragement. If you've been waiting to tell someone that you love about Jesus, don't wait. Because on the inverse of this, you guys, I have friends who aren't here today who I never said anything about Jesus to. Now, when I grieve them, it's different. Because I grieve them as some knowing that they don't have hope. Time and out. We don't know if we will be here tomorrow. You don't know if your friend or your family member or your neighbor will be here tomorrow. And I'm not trying to like scare anybody or anything like that. I'm not into that. Okay. But it's just reality that life is fragile. You guys, when I went at that uh, retreat with my wife and my family and John was at my house taking care of our dogs, I didn't think that when I got back and told him, hey, I'll be home early. You need to come over to our house tonight. I didn't think those were the last text messages I was going to exchange with my friend. I thought that because it was the month of May that he, myself, and my friend Billy were going to celebrate our 30th birthdays together. And we didn't. Instead, I carried his casket. But I have hope because I know where it is. I know I get to see him again. You guys, we need to share as if tomorrow is not promised. Share as if tomorrow is not promised because we don't have a magic Jesus timer. I don't know about you guys, but that's not something I found on Amazon. All right, I've got a kitchen timer made by Hearth and Hand, Magnolia, Chip and Joe, and Magic Jesus timer. Zero results. You guys don't know. Jesus says he doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. And we need to encourage each other as if lives depend on it. Because according to Jesus, they do. And I wish that I'd taken that seriously when I was your age. Because there are people who I sat with in youth group, who I went to school with, who aren't around anymore. It's the real fact of life. And I wish that I had shared Jesus and encouraged others as, as if their lives depended on it. Their eternal life. Because they do. Again, guys, our big idea is this, is that everyday followers of Jesus have hope in life beyond death. And when a follower of Jesus dies, it is sad. Why? Because death is, death is not good. It was not a part of God's original plan. But sin and death entered this world because of people like you and I. 
And so death is sad, but death for followers of Jesus here is not the end. And we can hold on to that hope. And I hope that you guys understand that and do hold on to that hope. I also hope that you guys begin to share Jesus with those who need him like their lives depend on it. Because it does. Here's your questions you're going to look at as you guys go into small group. Leaders, I'm sorry, I didn't send this out. Just snap a picture real quick while it's up there. Uh, Small groups tonight. How does the hope of the gospel or what Jesus has done for us potentially change the way we see death or the loss of someone we love? How does it change that? And I want you guys to share tonight in your small group, if you are somebody who says a follower of Jesus, this is a question for you. Who's one person you can share the gospel with? And I don't want you guys to embarrass anybody like useful names or whatever. Just first name. Share with your group and be intentional with that person. Pray for that person specifically by name tonight. Now, some of you might be sitting in here. I know in a group this large, there's probably some of you sitting in here who are like, I, I actually need to really wrestle with this tonight. Because I don't have that hope. And I need to figure out if I, if I really believe that or not. And if that's you, I would encourage you to talk to the small group leader in your group. Or come talk to me. I'll be around. Because this is the business that we're in. Is letting people know that there is a God who loves you. But not only that, he liked you so much. Liked the thought of you so much that he caused you to be. And who wants you despite the fact he doesn't need you. He loves us, likes us, and wants us so much that he would send his only son to die for us. And all we need to do, according to scripture, is confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Period. It is not difficult. It's simple, but not easy. Let's pray. God, I pray that if there are students in this room who need to get right with you. We need to figure out, you know, what, what does this mean for me? Do I have that hope that Curtis is talking about? God, I pray that they would do some business with you tonight. That maybe for the first time tonight, there's somebody in this room who needs to surrender to you as their Lord, as their Savior. They need to, they need to reckon with the fact that they, uh, they have sin in their life. And Jesus, if you are who I believe you are, you are, that if you're Lord, that if you're not a liar or a lunatic, then God, I, I, have, to, I have to do something about this. And I need to confess with my mouth, Jesus, that you're Lord, and believe in my heart that your Father raised you from the dead. And I can be saved. I can have that hope. God, if there's somebody in this room tonight that needs to do that, I pray that they do that. God, I pray we would be thinking of just one person as we close in worship tonight. If we're saying, hey, we're a follower of Jesus, we have that hope, we know that hope, we won't grieve as those without hope one day. And people won't grieve me as one without hope one day. And we would think of that one name. Who is it in our life that needs to know this same hope, the same God who loves us, likes us, and wants us? It's in your name we pray. Amen.